Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of entertainment. Today, my guest in New York is John Kamen, Chairman and CEO of Radical Media. Radical has been a mainstay in the New York production scene for decades. It's best known for producing high-end documentaries and nonfiction series of all varieties. Its offices in the village are a soup-to-nuts hub of activity for production, from development to the post-production facilities that it also has. Heyman here speaks candidly about what it takes for a company to survive as an independent for as long as Radical has, and he talks about the unique skill set that it takes to manage creative people and process. John Kamen, Chairman and CEO of Radical Media, thanks for coming by to talk to us about the independent production business. Happy to be here. It is uh, Radical Media is really a, a rarity these days. It is a true independent of real size. So much production in New York City flows through your offices, and uh, we appreciate you coming down to talk to us about what it's like in this moment of incredible demand for content, particularly television content, this moment of incredible demand, what it's like to, to run a sizable independent company at a time when the industry economics are also shifting radically, if you will. Tell us about right now where you see the most, where you feel most optimistic for, for long-term growth for your business. Well, I, I think it's uh, truly in the uh, audience behavior. I think that uh, what we're seeing in this radical shift and change that's taking place, obviously due to technology, as a company, we anticipated it. We thought that this would eventually happen. Old media dies slowly, as we know. But um, in name itself, we embrace radical change. And I think that for for a company like ours, uh, in the multidisciplinary approach that we have to business, uh, it's been part of the ethos of the company. So while it is quite confusing, and we'll admit our heads are spinning at the daily announcements of yet another service and a new way in which content will be distributed, uh, we feel fairly secure that as a company, we make content and we've always embraced the concept of producing content that could live across multiple platforms. So it's crazy, it's challenging, but it's also exciting at the same time. You, uh, the company in its current form kind of came together in the early 90s, and you were sort of perfectly positioned to capitalize on the, the growing demand at the time from cable for high-end, a lot of unscripted production. Can you talk about how the, that, the moment of the, the 90s boom in cable and the current boom that we're seeing from, from digital buyers as well as linear TV buyers, how the two moments are different well, I think obviously the proliferation of channels that began in the 90s uh, and then impacted by obviously digital media and the disruption of, of digital uh, was a, uh, in a sense, almost uh, forced us to change some of our plans. Uh, you know, in the earliest days of, uh, of, of radical, of being radical, we were big promoters of single sponsored programming and the kind of back to the future scenario that would cut through the clutter of, uh, fragmentation of media and cut through some of the, uh, expansion of advertising on cable. Uh, 
that was quite successful for a while. But as broadband began to deliver and companies could uh, resort to producing and, and publishing effectively their own content on their own websites, it kind of changed things a little bit. The gatekeepers weren't there. The, uh, the programmers that were managing the networks weren't necessarily uh, judging whether a program was appropriate for air or not or for their air, which uh, was something uh, different for, let's say, a brand or an advertiser. But from a programming standpoint, we just began to focus on producing quality programming for the various partners that we could seek out. And, and documentary work was certainly an early sign of our strength. We obviously are known for our premium nonfiction work. Perhaps it's uh, my own personal uh, preference for nonfiction over, over scripted, but I thought it was a place that we could we could stand out. And uh, certainly in the early 2000s with programming that we did for companies like the Sundance Channel and Iconoclasts and other things that we began to produce and documentaries that we made like The Fog of War winning an Academy Award or uh, The Concert for George or Joe Berlinger's uh, or second season of uh, Paradise Lost or, or even uh, as they moved on to things like Some Kind of Monster. Uh, that became uh, the signature of the company is when nonfiction and documentary style was really defining who we were as a company. And how do you make a living on documentaries? Uh, that's a great question. I don't think you do make a living on documentaries per se, although we are seeing a resurgence, thank God, of box office for one or two films. But uh, but I think with the advent of uh, Netflix now and increasing the popularity of documentary and, of course, series-based nonfiction is a strength of ours and one in which we are quite prolific today. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and it's and it, it's something we enjoy. And it's uh, it seems as if there's an audience there that really appreciates it uh, with all the uh, programming that is out there. There's certainly people like myself who prefer nonfiction. And uh, we, I think, are in a great place in terms of the various distribution platforms that have constantly evolved and with the advent of streaming and the multiple services that are uh, announcing themselves every day, we're in uh, pretty decent demand in terms of uh, content that we create. Yeah. I mean, even before we saw the influx of Netflix and Amazon money, you you saw Discovery Channel, A&E Network, Sundance. I mean, they were already becoming important funders of documentary. Is the theatrical release for documentaries, is that becoming a very rarefied thing, or do you still see a, a theatrical market? Well, I think the, uh, the theatrical release for a documentary is the brass ring. Uh, it's, it's rare, and most people would say it, it, never, it never really uh, can happen any longer until you come along to something as beautiful as Mr. Rogers and, uh, and Won't You Be My Neighbor?, and also some of the other films, the RPG, as well as uh, as as well as uh, free uh, free solo. Uh, so you start you're starting to see perhaps an audience uh, as theaters are improving themselves and becoming more comfortable to go to with reserved seating and all the benefits of uh, the concession stand, etc. Today, I think people are starting to enjoy seeing a good doc in a theater environment as well as at home, and I think that. Uh, 
there is opportunity in the nonfiction space. Um, we are certainly excited by it with projects that we're doing still for companies. Next weekend, we'll have a premiere of a new documentary we've just done for Discovery. Um, it'll be uh, in the competition with Ross Kaufman uh, directing, and uh, it's based on uh, the World Wildlife Fund uh, desire to preserve tigers around the world. Uh, so we're still in that business. We're still producing content for the discoveries, not so much Sundance. We'd like to be doing more with Sundance. We had a great six years of, with Iconoclast, often pointed to as a, as an, as a, uh, a benchmark show in that space. But for us, uh, the advent of uh, Netflix and the way in which that's served up and the way in which uh, an audience has been consuming premium nonfiction. We've just recently premiered the Ted Bundy uh, show uh, that will uh, be on Netflix uh, as of January 24th. Uh, super excited for Joe Berlinger, who's been obviously super active in that true crime space. But uh, interestingly, uh, Joe has also just premiered his film on the subject of Bundy um, at Sundance. And on practically the same weekend, they've launched the documentary series, also directed by Not accidental, clearly. Um, Not completely (laughs) accidental, quite actually bizarrely coincidental, but uh, timing probably not. It is an anniversary. And... uh, who better than Joe? He's uh, he's clearly a student of uh, the subject at this point. And these things, you know, the, the Tiger Project that I understand Fisher C- Stevens worked on and the Ted Bundy, these things are not things that you put together in a couple of weeks. These are long-term, lots of research, that shoe leather work of documentaries. I still want to drill down, like, how, how do you help support that? Do you get distribution money early or do you are there times when you guys write checks and you're not sure where it's going to go we develop things with a very long tail we are constantly searching and exploring the topics of interest it's not all crime thank god um we are uh, super excited about the uh, development process in discovery and reading great books, reading great articles, materials. People come into us. We have a pretty open architecture. Radical is a community, and uh, it's one that I cherish. We have uh, a lot of artists that consider Radical their home, whether they're directors, editors, filmmakers, producers, etc. And so things come into us as a, uh, hopefully, I'd like to think of us as a reliable partner that people want to be in business with, which is perhaps a a secret to our longevity. But uh, I think from a standpoint of being able to support an idea, being able to evolve an idea, finding the what we believe will be the secret sauce to making it something that a public will appreciate is our job. And within Radical, we have this community of talent and and uh, partners that are always looking for those projects. And the, the internal conversation that takes place is the development process for us. It's not as much as that we're writing checks, although we are optioning material based on 
IP based on books, et cetera, to support a project we might do. But we're mostly involved in development as a conversation and an internal conversation and a workshop and brainstorming it with the artists that call Radical Home. And you actually, you call them your artist in residence program. It's a reference I've made to the many people who have a desk at our office. <laughs> uh, we're all artists in residence. Uh, some are more on staff than others. Um, and it's, I think, a very respectful term for people whose work I super uh, appreciate. And uh, it's great to know that um, as an artist in residence, they may be uh, Fisher Stevens is a great example of it. Uh, uh, somebody who's pursuing many different things, including his acting career, but, uh, the opportunity to, to cross pollinate our projects to discuss the, uh, possibilities of doing something with someone like Fisher and the people whom he might bring in to talk about a project is extraordinary. And it's part of the privilege of having him as an artist in residence. And we have many others who we consider that. Mm-hmm. You did a terrific documentary a couple of years ago, What Happened to Miss Simone with Liz Garbus. Exactly. Just a really so well done, such illuminating a subject like that. That's got to be very gratifying to see when that when something like that comes out and gets such acclaim. And it was super gratifying. It was a fabulous collaboration with Liz. Um, it was one in which we brought Liz into the project. Uh, actually, my first conversation was with Liz was at a, a dinner for one of her films. Liz Garbus, uh, a very accomplished it, documentary pro- uh, producer and director. Exactly. And uh, I was at a, a premiere for one of the films that she had just completed in uh, with her producing partner. They turned to me and said, what are you working on next? And I said, well, we're sort of circling this project around an incredible artist and one that who's highly misunderstood, Nina Simone, and uh, the two of them, both uh, Liz and Amy Hobby, uh, lit up uh, at the prospect of it. Uh, we were approached by the daughter of Nina Simone, uh, who knew us through another project, speaking of years of development. We, we had known the people who were brought the project to us uh, for many years. One of the producers, Jason, was part of the, uh, part of the process and he approached us and then eventually we brought Liz into the, uh, into the mix and produced a film that went all the way to the Academy Awards. Didn't win, but, uh, it's nice to be nominated. You were invited. <laughs> and what does the, what in your experience when, cause you've had, you've been, you know, you've, you've had the success with things like Fog of War. What does, in, the, in this day and age, what does that kind of award season traction, does that, can that translate to dollars and cents on, you know, video sales or streams or? I think that obviously winning an award is uh, as prestigious as uh, being recognized for your work, being nominated, quite frankly, even shortlisted. I think being recognized by your peers is an honor. Uh, I don't think that actually winning the award itself is always the, uh, the secret to success. Uh, having won many of them, it's, uh, it looks nice on the mantle, but it's not, uh, it's not, it's, it's, it, it just encourages you to continue to pursue your craft. And, uh, having won and been part of a film that won an Academy Award, having been there two other times for 
two great films, uh, also for uh, the Paradise Lost uh, third ep- uh, installment to Paradise Lost with Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sinofsky, uh losing to a high school football movie, Undefeated, which was a... a an interesting year with uh, three young men recently uh, freed from uh, wrongful incarceration and front page of the New York Times. We thought we had a good shot. We lost to Harvey Weinstein. But uh, <laughs> we uh, have learned since and we were very, very proud to be with Netflix for their first nomination of a the first original Netflix documentary. Uh, and even uh, Adam Del Deo and Lisa reminded me that this past year when they finally won for uh, Icarus, that uh, don't forget, you were the first. You brought them uh, to the you, party. We brought them to the party. That's, that's awesome. What, what would you say at this point is your bread and butter? Is it the, is it the multi-episode uh, unscripted programming for, for cable and digital buyers? In, you know, Radical has uh, three verticals of its uh, opportunity. So uh, entertainment is is clearly an important one and rising with a bullet in terms of uh, opportunity for us. And in that space, premium nonfiction is our uh, bread and butter. It's work that we do for all the various distribution platforms today. There's no end to them as well as the uh, right. all the new ones being announced every day. But we're very privileged to have been working with many of the existing ones and working with some of the new ones that are about to be unleashed. Uh, so we're, uh, we're certainly focused on that business as a r- recurring series business as well as, uh, s- limited series. Uh, we're focusing on some development of some very important scripted material right now. Some of it based on nonfiction, but, uh, the hybrid model of nonfiction scripted dramatization combined with script is an area that we're very active in. We have our Mars series on National Geographic. We're just in production and completing production, actually, of a Grant, Ulysses S. Grant series based on the Ron Chernow book Mm -hmm. for for the History Mm -hmm. Channel. Uh, Again, uh, super exciting project that we uh, just finished production. We're in post-production on. Uh, we are looking at other projects like that as we speak. And we are uh, very excited about some of the uh, scripted material that we're developing based on factual uh, stories that we think will make for very interesting scripted series or even documentaries. So we have a, a complete mix in that space. Uh, we are also, as a company, and part of our success is also coming from the work that we do in advertising. Uh, it's no secret that uh, Radical's roots began in advertising, and uh, we still are quite uh, active and, and uh, a significant player on a global basis. We work for major brands like Nike and uh Apple and others that uh, produce uh, great commercial work and longer form content uh, around the world. Uh, we have a great relationship with both advertising agencies and many of the brands directly. Those That world is incredibly confused by the current media landscape as uh, an audience's behavior as to how they're watching programming in the VOD universe. Right. Um, it's and not spots and dots anymore. 
it can't just be disruption and uh, I'll become a, a preacher of the uh, or an evangelist for needing brands to rethink how they're going to reach an audience and not just think of them as consumers, but uh, create something that's truly appreciated by that audience. And so we're working actively with brands. Uh, we're working on a global basis with that. Uh, we still have a very robust uh, traditional advertising business, but in another category of the company, what we call our studio, uh, we are doing a lot of uh, innovation, innovation in experiential entertainment, immersive entertainment, technology. We've always had, with a name like radical media, we've always had a digital fluency as a part of the uh, mix of artists and talent that work at Radical. And that digital fluency allows us to think three-dimensionally across all the platforms that we produce for, whether it's entertainment or it's advertising or in the original creation of experiential uh, entertainment that we're doing in the studio section of the company. That must be great for you for talent scouting and for kind of identifying the next, you know, the next thing on the horizon in terms of in terms of production, in terms of the way that consumers want to interact with content. I imagine that's that's really fertile ground for you. Well, the fertile ground is for talent that considers Radical their home. We truly can provide them with multiple platform opportunities. So you could take a young artist like Austin Peters, who's enjoying uh, producing a show for ESPN Plus right now with LeBron James, mm -hmm. uh, more than an athlete. Uh, Austin came to us through his music video career, has had a very successful commercial career, and is also going on to series-based programming, um, not just in the digital side, but in developing uh, original work as well. Uh, Derek C. in France, uh, homegrown talent at Radical, has been with me many, many years uh, to see Derek's, not only his his commercial career blossom as it has, but uh, his now feature career. And we're looking at projects to eventually, we're online with every studio and, and network as well to do some work with uh, with Derek. But Derek still considers Radical as home. And even while he's in the middle of production of a very exciting new HBO show, he's working out of our offices mm -hmm. and meeting with some of the key talent and developing it there. And other people are working on that. So we, we have the privilege of this cross-pollination of all of the work that we do um, happening in this one place that we call home, but it's a community. And it exists not just in New York, but in our Los Angeles office, in our London office, Berlin, as well as Shanghai. Mm. You're, you're, all, you're widespread around the world. This might be a, hard to generalize, but w would you say that the brand work that you do, whether it's brand initiatives for, for a Nike or, or even creative advertising, is it is it pound for pound? Is it more lucrative for Radical to produce a commercial for a brand or do an experience for a brand, or is it, or is the home run still the multi-part series that can be renewed? There's a there's a nuance of both. Uh, you know, the renewal of something allows us to think ahead of. Uh, ourselves and being able to think about what we're going to be doing next year. Um, advertising generally is pretty reactive and sometimes doesn't know what it's doing from quarter to quarter. Uh, but we uh, benefit from doing it all. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm headed to visit a company to, 
today, tonight, uh, visiting a company that we make commercials for, but is smart enough to know they need to be doing something else. And uh, being able to be part of that conversation and to have the, uh, the, the credential to be able to be part of that bigger conversation is a privilege of being radical. <laughs> radical and also having been doing it for, for yeah, many years. It's not as if we're new to the party. It's not as if we haven't done this before. The uh, acclaim that we've gotten, the critical acclaim that we've gotten for the shows, maybe even some of the awards that we've won <laughs> have given us uh, permission to speak on a much broader basis uh, of possibility. And uh, I, and as I said before, I, I'd like to think of us as evangelists in that category. How do you, as a leader, you are the chairman, CEO, how do you, we, I've, I've seen, you know, many companies have success, grow, but inevitably partners leave, projects go, there's fights, lawsuits. How do you, how have you kept radical media together in its current form since the early nineties, but the roots are even deeper. How have you kept it together? What is the, what would you say have been keys to effective leadership of this incredibly creative operation? Well, I think it goes back to uh, the concept of family and of community. I think that um, we don't really have too many fights. <laughs> we may have disagreements, but we don't have fights. Um, all families are uh, sometimes a little dysfunctional, but dysfunctionality can lead to great things. Uh, I think that it's been a terrific partnership of different people in different categories of their uh, responsibilities. And uh, I'd like to think that uh, as the ringmaster, along with my partner, Frank Sherma, who's been, we've been together for almost 30 years in our careers, uh, and Frank was recently uh, elected as the chairman of the Television Academy, which I'm so incredibly proud of. The National him Academy as well. of yeah. Television Arts and Sciences based in New York. Yeah. Which is an amazing accomplishment for, for uh, Frank and one that I'm particularly proud of. But I think our leadership and the partnership with different people and the way in which we've been able to work with people who've been part of the company. We've had a, an incredible record of people staying with us for uh, a long time. And, uh, and even when they leave, uh, we remain generally pretty good friends and they come back to visit me constantly. And uh, I think it's because of the uh, relationship that we built and uh, the road that we decide to take in terms of uh, looking towards the future and always thinking about the future and a vision for what's next with the company, which I'd like to think of as my job. Mm -hmm. Well, that speaks, it speaks well of how you treat people for sure. Tell us, speaking of what's next, what for 2019, what are, give us a hint of a couple things that are brewing that you're excited about. Well, I think that uh, from a standpoint of conversations that we're having right now and a little too soon to announce some of the projects, but uh, we have uh, been uh, incredibly active in producing and uh, selling and developing and, and in production on shows across almost every key distribution platform out there right now from networks to streamers and new platforms of technology. So uh, we have a host of shows 
that we've been developing that are uh, in that uh, gestation period, which we are finally uh, closing on all of the deals and going into various stages of production. We are uh, thinking about the creation of uh, some new IP and some projects in the experiential space that we've been incubating for the last uh, year or so and that are finally coming to fruition. I think that those uh, those projects are uh, near and dear to me in terms of the uh, potential of a new economic model for us. As you mentioned earlier, there's no question there's a challenging economy of all of this proliferation of channel channels. It's not as simple as uh, everybody thinks. It's It could be considered the new golden age of television, but not with the same price tag or opportunity. Um, but at the same time, there are places in which we're recognizing opportunities. And 2019, I think, is going to be a big year for us in terms of uh, realizing some of those projects. Great. Well, we will stay tuned and keep our eye out for that at Radical Media logo. Thank you so much for your time, John. Super. Thank you, Cynthia. Look forward to it. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business. 